Welcome to Palestine Deep Dive. Thank you very much for joining us, wherever you are, uh, and we'd like to hear from you if you have any questions to ask two, two special guests today. Uh, I'm joined here by uh, Francesca Albanese. Actually, I say joined here, Francesca's in Geneva. Uh, and Francesca, as, you, as many of you will know, is the United Nations Special Rapporteur for the Occupied Palestinian Territory. And I'm also joined for the first time, and welcome, uh, Leah Semmel. And Leah is in Jerusalem. Hello. She is a lawyer and a legal representative for the French-Palestinian lawyer and human rights campaigner Salah Hamouri. Many of you may have heard of Salah Hamouri. Uh, many of you who have not will probably soon see that uh, Amnesty International has been very vocal in campaigning for him as well as, uh, of course, Leah and her colleagues. Uh, Salah Hamouri last month ended a 19-day hunger strike, and that was in objection to the systematic policy of what is called administrative detention. And this is something that we want to try and explore this evening. What is administrative detention? How many people are being held like Salah? What does it mean? Is this really uh, internment without trial? Uh, what does it mean? What can we do? So we're going to focus on this particular disturbing case uh, and also what it means for human rights defenders in Israel-Palestine. Um, and we've got some footage actually for what it has meant for some human rights uh, defenders um, who have actually been assaulted whilst going about their, their jobs. So we're also going to focus on Israel's policies of internment without trial um, and it's a practice uh, that is called administrative detention. Um, and it's a practice that some have compared to uh, what has happened in Guantanamo Bay, um, what happened um, during the Northern, what were euphemistically called the Troubles in Northern Ireland when Britain had internment without trial. But certainly very, very big questions about the rule of law and the rights of citizens and uh, the, the rights of human rights defenders. Um, when we get on to um, Salah Hamouri, I'm going to come to Leah first of all, but I'd like to, well, actually, I should just say that you're welcome once again. Um, I'm Mark Seddon. I used to work for Al Jazeera as a UN and diplomatic correspondent, and I subsequently worked for the United Nations for Secretary General Ban Ki-moon as one of his speechwriters. More recently for a president of the UN General Assembly, uh, Maria Fernanda Espinosa, uh, and I've had a long interest in the Middle East and Israel and Palestine in particular. And, but before we get on to uh, the particular case of Salah Hamouri and look more broadly at detention without trial in Israel-Palestine, I just wondered if I might begin by sort of looking at um, some of the recent events that have, uh, have taken place um, and in particular, of course, um, you know, the Israeli general election, uh, the return of Benjamin Netanyahu as prime minister, and leading a coalition that by most people's, uh, uh, by, by the view of most people, by the, uh, the international community almost as a whole is talking about this as being possibly the most right-wing um, administration ever in Israel's history, um, I, I wanted to ask about the appointment of uh, uh, ben, Itmar, Itamar Ben-Gavir as the Minister for National Security and what that might mean for Palestinians. And before I do, and I'm going to come to Francesca first on him, for those of you who may not know much about Ben-Gavir, um, here is just a flavour from um, his Wikipedia entry. Uh, now, of course, Wikipedia can be challenged at any time, but this isn't. Ben Gavir is an extremist who had faced dozens of charges of hate speech against Arabs, was known to have a portrait in his living room of Israeli-American terrorist Barak Goldstein, who massacred 29 Palestinian worshippers and wounded 125 others in Hebron in the 1994 Cave of the Patriarchs Massacre. He removed the portrait after he entered politics. And in 1995, after Israeli Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin signed the peace agreement with Palestine, Ben Gavir threatened him, threatened Prime Minister Rabin. Uh, he stole the hood ornament from Rabin's Cadillac and says, we got to his car and we'll get him too. Um, coincidentally, uh, Yitzhak Rabin was 
tragically assassinated by another right-wing extremist two days later. Now, this man really does have quite some record. I think um, before I come to Francesca, we may have a, a, a video clip uh, of him recently. I think this was in Jerusalem. Um, do we have the video clip of Ben Gavir? Well, I mean, this is quite extraordinary for people looking at this. this is the obviously we, we can't we've just got the clip of Ben Gavir there. Um, we can't see what's happening with the demonstrations. We can't we don't know about necessarily about all of the events that are happening around there. But the startling image is of a prominent Israeli politician uh, with a revolver in his belt. Um, I mean, this is quite this is quite extraordinary in so many respects that and not seemingly being uh, restrained. Uh, it's difficult to imagine a legislator almost anywhere else um, doing this. Well, actually, it is possible to imagine it, but it's also quite possible to imagine the extraordinary action that would follow. And the fact now that this individual is uh, the minister in charge of national security is really quite something. First, uh, Francesca, what's your reaction to that? And then, Leah, what's your reaction to this too? Yeah. Go ahead, I'll, I'll follow you. Francesca, we can't hear you. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was, I was yeah. thank you, thank you for your patience. So, saying thank you, Mark, mm. and uh, thank you to, uh, to Palestine Deep Dive because it's always a pleasure to be with you. And uh, particularly tonight, I'm, I'm elated to be with, uh, with Leah Tzamel. Um, I'm sure that Leah has a better sense of what this vote means um, in, in Israel and, uh, and in the overall political context. But what I can say uh, I'm, is that I'm really worried for what it means for the, 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 the implementation of Israeli policies and the Israeli politics, implication of Israeli politics in the occupied Palestinian territory. Um, because, of course, this, um, uh, the, 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 the hate speech that the charges of hate speech that uh, Ben Gvir, that have been brought against Ben Gvir are uh, are worrisome. But the fact that he he engaged in hate speech to an extent, incitement during the electoral campaign, on the one hand, signal that there is uh, no reprimand for this kind of conduct by the electorate. In fact, it was I mean his 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 party was was voted. Uh, but also the fact I'm also mesmerized with a little criticism, the little scrutiny that these uh, these elections have seem to have received internationally. Again, this is again the implication for the Palestinians is probably going to be more violence, uh, harsher measures, and um, and less less accountability. So there is going to be even less of what is already a pretense of accountability right right mm. now. So this is my immediate reaction. Mm. Thank you, Francesca. Leah, I mean, Mark, what's your reaction to, and, and have you met him? Have you ever met Ben Gilles? Yeah, of course. I met him quite often in the corridors of the courts, the different courts. And we are uh, talking to each other, mocking each other, because it's so clear, it's clear, very clear where I stand, and it's very clear that he stands just in the opposite place. So we, um, I, I wouldn't call it even fight, but we debate very often. Anyway, um, I see it as a real tragedy that, that uh, he was elected and he's so powerful on the one hand. On the other hand, this is the real picture of the Israeli public. It's not an outstanding phenomenon. We know about the very deep racism, the real apartheid that, that exists. And now we can hear it in so many words without masks, without camouflage. 
And in a way, there are some friends who try to cheer me up and say, you know, maybe it's better because this is the real face of the Israeli politics. So let it be just in the front. With you have you have to have a pistol on your side instead of having a nice uh, coat or or jacket or suit and pretend that you are something else. No, he stands for what he really is. And the tragedy, as I said, is that he stands for what a big majority of the Israeli are feeling and thinking and believing. The, when they say death to the Palestinians as a, as a slogan, and he, in order to show that he's milder, um, offered to change the death to the terrorists only, <coughs> this is the atmosphere. That's the reality. It, it must be very frightening, Leah. I mean, we, we also saw, and I think we've got we've, we've got some video of this. Uh, again, I have to say that, you know, the, the, in the, the media here in Britain, we really have seen very little. There has been some reporting in some of the newspapers, um, but such has been the fixation with the FA Cup in Qatar and human yeah. rights abuses uh, uh, there, uh, that human rights abuses happening in um Israel-Palestine have largely been ignored. But we did see, especially on social media, footage of this quite extraordinarily large uh, march through Hebron uh, of, uh, I think, mainly uh, settlers, Israeli settlers, and with with claims that this was the, one of the biggest and actually also the most violent in over 20 years uh, by but local you know, residents. Did you? We'll have a quick look at the, the video, and I'll, okay. and I'll come to you there. Okay, yeah. Nudi Rihtilal, Agalaku, Kulil Mahalat, Tizari, Abdalu, Anabel, Pedehum. أي المستوطنين يا شباب اقتحموا منطقة شارع الشلال وباب الزاوية هجمها باب الزاوية يا شباب فزعة يا شباب فزعة زي ما انتم شايفين هالحجار ضربوها على الضوء. Well, there, there we there we have some very disturbing video coverage and from human rights uh, group Betzalem. I mean, it does pose the. The other question is one yeah. of the reasons why such an yeah. attack on human rights groups taking place is because people, the Israelis, don't want us to see videos like that. But tell us, Leah, because I think this is uh, Hebron is where Ben Gavir uh, has been living. Uh, and, and do you think this is the shape of things to come? Do you think people felt emboldened to act in a more extreme way because of the Israeli yeah. elections? Or was it going this way? Anyway, we should not forget that every year, we have the same parade, and even worse, they call it the flag parade with Israeli flags, young, young, mainly religious and mainly settlers, uh, thousands of them are flooding East Jerusalem, the old city. They, like they closed the shops in Hebron, they, they closed the shops in the old city and forces everyone to be behind doors and they march in order to show we are the bosses and that was really the major slogan of uh, ben Gur during the elections we should show them who rules here who is the boss and uh, it's the same the same picture not only in the occupied hebron it's also in the heart of jerusalem in the old city uh, and now he is threatening to uh, allow Jews to come and pray in the, in Al-Aqsa and uh, around the Al-Aqsa in all this area freely. 
because now there are all kinds of limitations, and uh, to change all the status quo. Mm -hmm. I think it is only the beginning, and the the force of power is all over. Well, th yes, thank you, Leah. I mean, the, the, there obviously have been some very brave human rights defenders who have been actively recording events, um, such as this one, many others too. And for all of us elsewhere, this is possibly one of the few ways that we can actually get an idea of what is happening on the ground in the occupied territories and, of course, in Israel proper, as we were saying. But I was just, we're just we've got one more video clip, actually. I think we'll just share this and then I'll come to Francesca because this is of a human rights uh, activist defender going about his business uh, and apparently being assaulted by uh, an Israeli soldier. Do we have that? Um, well, I think, yes, I mean, fortunately, but that was cut off then. I mean, this is the most extraordinary uh it's extraordinary things are going on absolutely shocking um francesca as the un special rapporteur on, on what basis can um uh, israeli uh, military uh treat people uh, like this in in the occupied territories this surely must be illegal activity under international law let alone domestic yeah. law if it can be invoked in uh, but I mean, what is the situation there <clears throat> On what basis? Impunity. Impunity. Uh, decades, I wouldn't say even years, decades of impunity. What you are seeing now um, on full display has been happening over decades against the Palestinians and increasingly against uh, even um, uh, Israeli, Jewish Israeli uh, activists. I mean, I've seen it happening when I was 10 years ago, 12 years ago, when I was in uh, in, in Palestine. Um, there were activists accompanying farmers or children, escorting them in South Hebron Hills, which has always been very, I mean, very exposed, very vulnerable to violence. So this is not new. But there are two things here, and one is going to be probably less, um, less, uh, less easy to understand if you don't see the full video of that incident. Uh, one is that, um, again, there is no justification under international law, not only for this to happen, but for this not to be punished. I want to know what happened to that soldier. I want to know what, hap what happened to every soldier, any, any um, law enforcement agents who uses uh, excessive force in circumstances that do not absolutely do not justify that force, mm. first of all, because this is uh, bringing scrutiny to this uh, to the discussion, and this is probably leading to some form of accountability. So far, there has been none. But I don't know if you have seen the full footage. There is something that I found really uh, somewhat it blew my mind the fact that at the at the end of the video, and this is this is not to say that there was no violence whatsoever. At the end of the video, the soldier helps pull up the helps the 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 human the human rights defenders stand up, and sort of there is from both sides a lifting of the hands. There is a recognition of humanity in the lack of humanity of that incident. This is a diff. I, I really want to hear mm. what Leah thinks because I've never seen such a display uh, of humanity toward the no, Palestinians. That's interesting because I had we hadn't seen that. We have not seen that. So what? Yes, Leah, what do you make of that then? I think we've seen it very often. I I'm been called to defend the human rights defenders who go in the occupied territories and try to defend the Palestinians, and very often they are being attacked by the soldiers or by the settlers or attacked by the settlers while the soldiers are standing by and doing nothing. And if you ask me about uh, impunity, there is impunity, total impunity. Hardly anyone is being punished and the army promises to check and they never check. And, and I don't see even any international proper uh, mm. pressure on Israel. We don't see it. 
we I mean we, Francesca just then you were you were saying that you know the, the, the bit of the video that we didn't see or haven't seen is this kind of acknowledgement by by the soldiers and by the human rights campaign this is extraordinarily no it's terrible it's so bad we've got to stand back but um I just I wanted to, to come back to you on the on the issue of the banning of human rights groups because this, this of course predates the recent elections um the whole, I think half a dozen um, human rights groups uh, have been banned by the Israeli government. Their offices have been raided. Things have been taken away. Uh, the European Union has objected. The United States government has objected. Yeah. Right. What's, uh, Francisco, can I ask you on the, on the, base, what, on the basis of, uh, of international law again, what can be done? What is, what, is, what is being done that is illegal that can be stopped? <laughs> Applying international law for once? Hmm? Because this is the answer. It's very clear. It's not complicated. I mean, when people ask me, how do we get out of this quagmire? Applying international law. This is what happens when there is a, a situation like this. Um, I'm not dismissing politics. I'm saying that politics should be reoriented uh, according to international law. Um, because, again, much of what uh, Israel does is done on the ground of um, legality, according to Israeli law. But Israeli laws and the, 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 the system that is applied um, in the occupied Palestinian territory is a complete departure uh, from what international law um, offers. And so what is to be done, there should be, I agree with Leah, there should be pressure from outside because under the circumstances, it's very difficult that a push will come for a change will come from inside. And so to start with, treat Israeli actions as Israeli, sorry, um, international wrongdoing. So ask for the immediate cessation of every form of illegality, which starts with the entire military occupation, which is illegal. The second has no legal raison d'etre. The second is uh, ask for guarantees of non-repetition. Uh, and again, I mean, I'm saying that while also acknowledge the right of Israel to protect its citizens and to ensure safety and security of everyone in its territory and also dispose of reparations for all the wrongdoings done. And everyone should be the same and equal uh, under the same law, international law. So everyone who has committed crimes should pay and everyone who has committed wrongdoings should, should, um, should fix it, but according to international law. Thank you, Francesca. Leah, to, just, just before we come on to um, Salah himself, I want to just ask you, yeah. We saw that in those videos, these soldiers in Hebron, they were wearing, uh, I might be a bit colorblind, but they look like sort of turquoise hats, uh, you know. Are they are they from a specific battalion, regiment? Are they police? Are they so? I mean, who are they? What, what is this special hat that they're wearing? Did you say Italian? Uh, no, Betalian. no, no. Italian. Ah, okay. <laughs> no. The hats, they they're not Italian they hats. Oh, they know. They have now new uniform, some masks, ah. and some plastics over the elbows and the knees, so they can sometimes chalk or beat better with those plastics. And uh, sometimes I look at them and say, wow, the, the knights are back? What is it? Yeah. Middle ages? <clears throat> Most moral. But, but I wanted to say, not only the Palestinian, we know about the six <clears throat> Palestinian human rights organizations that were closed by Israel, and uh, of course, there was a, a good international reaction. Now, Ben Gvir is promising to act also against the Israeli human rights organizations, and everyone, including the organization Hamoked, the Center for Human Rights, that is defending also, I'm working with them, uh, Salah Hamouri, is also being threatened like all, every other human rights organization nowadays. Mm -hmm. And this is the promise for the of the new elected, uh, who would probably be a minister. Uh, this is the, the promise to all, uh, us all. So yes, we, we, we are not isolated. You know, it's very interesting because some of the international basic human rights laws 
like the Geneva Convention, was based on the horrors of the Second World War, that the, some of the Jews were some of the victims, and they were interested, of course, to create some international agreement about what to do in times of war, in times of occupation, etc. And now, I'm afraid to say that we, the Israelis, we don't follow those rules that were so important for us and could have saved us then and could will perhaps will save us in the in the future mm. leah can i ask you do you feel personally uh, threatened by what's happening i try to say to tell myself not to worry because ah, i'm an old woman who cares secondly yeah. Being a Jew, I'm sure, gives me some kind of uh, protection because of the deep racism that is around us. But it's not total protection, not at all. There were Jews, there were people, even prime ministers who were killed for their uh, activity, for their visions. And uh, I don't know. Mm. I don't know. I, I, I'm not going to leave the country, as many people think to do now. Uh, and I uh, convince myself not to be afraid, but nobody knows. These are the... We saw what happened to the nice religious Jews and to the two religious women who were with him, uh, support, trying to support and protect the Palestinians. Uh, there is racism, but there is also much hatred mm. with these people. Well, I mean, I think, I mean, we should perhaps um, turn our attention to um, uh, your client, Salah Hamouri. And I, I wonder, yeah. I mean, we know that, you know, he's a, a, a French-Palestinian human rights defender. We know that he's been active for a very long time. And in, in fact, I think over a period of 20 years, he's been targeted. And of course, in the last, in the last few weeks, um, he has been on a 19-day a hunger strike, but right. yeah, what is it that the uh, the authorities have against him? Why are they treating him <clears throat> in this particular way? Well, first of all, I wanted to speak briefly about the administrative detention. There are about a more more of than thousand detainees now that are not brought to court, and they are being detained by, according to secret material, somehow, and their detention can be renewed every six months. And they do it very, uh, very often. And with uh, with uh, Salah Hamouri, he's still held administratively in prison without relating to any specific charges or suspicions. Now, Salah Hamouri <coughs> was born in Jerusalem <coughs> to a Palestinian father and a French mother who came to live in Palestine and live here ever since. So he has some, uh, he has, of course, the Palestinian uh, feelings, identity, mm. but uh, he is considered in Israel, like all the other Jerusalemite Palestinians, as a resident only. He is not an Israeli citizen. Uh, he has, though, French citizenship by through his mother. But he never lived in France for a long time, and uh, it's not his culture, it's not his future. He was sentenced in 1985, briefly for some year, for seven years imprisonment, for being a member of what was then an illegal organization as a student, and uh, conspiracy to uh, act against some public religious figure. The, 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 he was sentenced in the military court and the military judge did say that he was the minor personality in that uh, conspiracy, that he... Oh, you appear to have lost Leah. Francesca, are you still with us? Yes, I am. Yes, I, I'm, look, we'll see if we... Uh, We'll see if we can get Leah he back. Was, he yeah, was I think minor. it's very important to hear her reconstruction. Sorry, Leah, you got you got uh, um, you got interrupted for a while. There was a connection problem. Yeah. When you said that he was accused of minor, 
to be the minor yeah, part the of judge, the judge the judge wrote that he was a minor um, partner in that conspiracy and he was holding it even back anyway after that he became uh, he was released he studied law he became a lawyer he does protect human rights uh, of Palestinians in military courts. He appears and works as a lawyer. He was working in a human rights organization, one of those that were closed. But I think uh, the, the ex-minister of, uh, perhaps the future to minister of uh, uh, interior uh, wanted to, to give some present to his uh, um, followers. And he said that that guy who was aiming part of the conspiracy against a religious figure that is dead long time ago, will we will deny him of his residency. There is a whole tendency of the uh, Israeli uh, Ministry of Interior and the Israeli politicians to deny as many Palestinians as possible of their residency or citizenship. One of the ways is, of course, preventing um, family reunification and making many un impossible difficulties on, of any Palestinian who marries someone, a spouse from another country in order, or, or from the West Bank or Gaza in order to make them uh, Israeli citizens or residences. And uh, recently, the, uh, there have been two cases where the Supreme Court has decided to deny uh, Palestinian, Israeli Palestinians of their citizen of their citizenship, saying that they were not loyal to the to the state, mm. and uh, the tendency now is to follow it by denying residency, not citizenship, of Jerusalemites, East Jerusalemites who are not citizens, and uh, this should be used as a threat to anyone who acts against the security of the state. And even though the East Jerusalemites were never citizens, they never owed any loyalty to the Israeli state because they were occupied and received this temporary, um, I would say, position. Uh, still, it is a threat on all of them that they can be denied of their residency. Mm. Uh, in other words, they will not enjoy uh, any medical services, etc. And they will have only a temporary standard that can be renewed, should be renewed from time to time. This tendency is quite frightening uh, because uh, we, we, there is a big population of residences in Jerusalem and in the Golan Heights, in the Syrian uh, Golan in the north of Israel, and not like the, um, the Palestinians in the, in the West Bank and Gaza, those are not even residences. Mm -hmm. they, are, they are considered uh, people, inhabitants of the West Bank and Gaza. They don't have rights in Israel. So uh, having also, again, uh, the, the, this, in these elections, having uh, in the possible future government, so many people who talk against the Palestinians, who talks about <clears throat> shifting them out, about getting rid of them. Uh, we are dealing with, with the case of Halakhamuri in the legal aspect of such a possibility. So, Leah, yeah, can I, can I just come back on... Leah, can I ask you, Salah, has, has Salah actually been charged? Because we're looking at, as you're describing administrative detention, it sounds very much like, you know, imprisonment. It's not a charge. No, he was not charged. No, no so charge. no charge. And they're saying no. that they're, apparently they're saying to him, well, we could release you if you agree to leave and go to France. On yes. what legal basis yes, do true. the Israeli courts behave like that? Do they, do they, do uh, they we... how does it work? Look, the, the Center for Human Rights, Hamoked, and myself, we do go to the Israeli courts. That's what we have. We also try to, to raise some uh, international 
uh, interest and we are lucky enough to have some of it. Uh, we also address the French government and the French president mm. because he, being a French citizen because due to his mother, yes. uh, they should take some responsibility. That's what we believe. So <clears throat> it's very, we are very skeptic about the possibility of the Israeli courts to change this political decision. We are trying. We have excellent arguments, very good arguments, really, believe me, that would work in many, many courts. I'm not sure it's, it will work here. And I'm even less uh, optimist that it will work after this election and the situation afterwards that is so anti-Palestinian, mm. very much anti-human rights, and of course, anti-Israeli-Palestinian uh, human rights. Uh, before I come back to um, Francesca with a question from um, one of our viewers, Leah, I, I wanted to ask you, because you mentioned uh, President Macron and international pressure. We've seen the campaign from Amnesty International. I mean, yeah. has, have the French authorities put pressure on the Israelis to, to, to lift this administrative detention and let Salah go? Uh, I think they try their best to put pressure under, you know, the uh, diplomatic uh, restrictions. I think uh, we hope to to have much more pressure. Mm, mm. That's what I can say. And of course, you know, as you said earlier, I mean, I think there are over seven hundred odd people being held under administrative detention. Yes. Um, Francesca, coming to you, there's a question. This is from uh, Jenny in Manchester, in Northern England, and she asks, um, "What's the legality of Israel arresting Palestinians?" in occupied Palestinian territory, removing them from occupied territory and into prisons in Israel proper without charge or trial? Okay, again, um, I think that there are two layers here. Um, one, again, is the legality that Israel claims to have, the legal ground on which Israel is doing that, which refers to Israeli laws and military orders, and I think Leah is the is the best to speak to it. From an from an international point of view, this is um, I mean this is illegal in many respects. First of all, I have to say, um, as Leah mentioned, this is not the first time that Salah uh, has been uh, held in uh, in administrative detention, um, and. Um, Already in 2018, there was the working group of on, arbi um, on arbitrary detention of the uh, United Nations, which found the detention, the previous administrative detention, arbitrary. So th this uh, this year, in, or rather, in yeah, this year in particular, we have reached a new level because, in general, Israel acts of forcibly deporting protected person from the occupied territory and forcing, um, I mean, and subjecting them to inhuman treatment and measures. Of course, this is against the law. This constitutes grave breaches of international humanitarian law and might amount to a war crime. It is about the time that these widespread practices are investigated by the international criminal law. Uh, sorry, International Criminal Court. This is to answer directly the question. But there is another element um, that Leah was mentioning has been used against the Palestinians with Israeli citizenship, so Palestinians in Israel, and which is forcing their allegiance um, to the occupying power for the for the Palestinians in the occupied Palestinian territory. I say, as far as I know, as far as I understand, this is a new trend and it's very worrisome. It's very dangerous. And again, this is against international humanitarian law. The occupied people cannot swear allegiance to the occupying power. And, uh, and again, there are also some new elements that are worrisome. Um, if the case, I mean, if the withdrawal of... Um, of uh, Jerusalemite residency to Salah succeeds. This will be an incredible precedent uh, to continue to enforce this uh, residence withdrawal, this yeah, withdrawal of residence to other Palestinians, because 
Salah is not only a very well-known human rights defender, a lawyer, he has double nationality. If they can do that with a French national, probably who should probably have diplomatic and political protection from the French, uh, the French government, from France, they can do that to any Palestinians based on secret evidence and on this ground, this new ground of breach of allegiance with, uh, with the occupying power. Well, we have, of course, seen what happened recently to um, an American Palestinian journalist who was shot dead and uh, efforts for, by the United States to hold mm -hmm. all the authorities to a, account. So, Shireen, a, a former colleague of mine at Al Jazeera. So, the thing is, uh, we are looking at this situation, and I'm also wondering, Leah, I mean, do, do you get a chance to actually go to speak and meet with your clients in prison? Uh, have you been to see Salah? Yes. Can you tell us something about the conditions in which he is uh, yes, existing? Yes. I even met him once uh, during his uh, hunger strike. Yeah, and we do go uh, very often to the courts, to the to the prison. Uh, I think we may just have temporarily lost Lee again. Archie's coming back. And um, again, this is not something that happens to many to many Palestinian prisoners. If I can comment on that, because yes. you know, Mark, I'm writing my next report to the Human Rights Council on arrest and detention, and. Mm. It's incredible what I'm learning, but in terms of really studying the, the system, the legal system, the sentencing framework, the offenses mm. according to which a Palestinian can be arrested and, and detained, um, and also what happens uh, during the custodial time. Mm, so there is, a, I mean, in, in, a, in a way, uh, yeah, this is not common for a Palestinian to receive uh to receive regular visits as well. And, so. and Francesca, you know, whilst we're, hope, we're waiting for Leah to hopefully rejoin us, I mean, have you got an opportunity to go and meet administrative detainees? You know, that would surely be in your purview to do so, should you wish. Mm, I wish. I mean, I was supposed to be in Palestine as we speak. And uh, you know that um, Israel doesn't recognize the mandate of the special rapporteur. Mm -hmm. So in the past, until uh, 2000, 2007, it has allowed the special rapporteurs to still to to uh, it has not obstructed the visits. And um, this changed in 2007 when Richard Falk, my pre predecessor, was arrested and detained and then deported to the U.S. Um, since then, no other special rapporteur has been allowed in. No Wibisono, no Professor Michael Link. Um, I'm trying to, to go and I've had some opening, which is interesting. Still, we are trying to interpret this opening. But it has not materialized yet. So I'm trying to be uh, patient and wait, but I, I will go. I will go and I will visit Palestine. And uh, in terms to answer your question, what has uh, been my engagement with administrative detainees? Um, it will happen by, um, I mean, I will have meetings with them in other forms and in other venues, uh, but it has not happened as of yet in the context of my report. But I've met, of course, former prisoners. <laughs> Yes, Thank I have. you, Francesca. And welcome back, Leah. We've got uh, one or two little technical hitches there. We hope it's not uh, a shin bet operation interfering with our link to you. Anyway, welcome back. And um, I mean, you were just actually telling us about you, you, when you were able to go and visit your clients in prison and what the conditions okay. are. Okay. Please, Did please. You talk, you? I, I yeah. didn't hear you. Uh, yes, you were just you were just telling us about the situation of your clients in prison, yes. and, and when you get to visit them, yeah. what, you know the conditions in which they are living. And I wonder if you could just let us know something about that. Okay, uh, something that really bothers me the most recently is the fact that they are not allowed to study. We use there are people who are sentenced for many many years, some of them very young, and they used to use that time while they are in prison to study, uh, to improve their education, etc. But now it is totally forbidden. And there are threats from those new parliament members, very clear threats, that they, it will, they, every prisoner should know that it's not a hotel, 
and they will not enjoy prison, they will not enjoy their lives in prison, they can forget about having uh, let's say, many, many, uh, very, uh, not so many, but some of the, uh, not even privileges, I don't know how to call it, uh, they, their life would be much worse than now, and now it's worse enough. There are could, many people could that are be there because they feel, they feel that knowledge is power, they don't want uh, people to go away and study. I mean, even Ian, under Ian Smith in Rhodesia, Robert Mugabe was allowed to study. I think he got he, he got twelve degrees. Ah. <laughs> he managed to get twelve degrees. Yeah. So not not our good? Palestinian prisoners, not I'm afraid. No. Ah. Well, it's a shocking no, situation. Okay. I just, I, I mean, I, I mean, we, we've, I, I have actually got the figure here. I think it's seven hundred and ninety-eight. Uh, persons who are currently Possible, yeah. close to 1,000, yeah. It's it's a it's a huge yeah. number of people, yeah. and this is a situation yeah. that's been for a long time. There's no there's no there's, there's no uh, apparent uh, possibility of it ending soon. Um, no, and I just actually, I just wanted to if I could come to you, Francesca, because you know human rights is a. The United Nations is there to protect human rights. Your job is there as a special rapporteur to focus on human rights. We see human rights constantly be talked about by media, by politicians, but often selectively applied and not consistently. So, I mean, I'm just thinking about the current situation now with the, the FA Cup in, uh, in Qatar. There's been a lot of criticism of human rights in Qatar by Western media. Uh, but at the same time, um, uh, well, I know the football's not taking place in Israel-Palestine at the moment, but you do wonder uh, if there would be such an outcry if it were. I know it's a slightly speculative question, but do, do you not think that in general there needs to be far more consistency when it comes to human rights? And I suppose, Francesca, the question might be, you know, is the, are the human rights of a Ukrainian as important as a Palestinian's human rights and vice versa? Good. Good. Uh -huh. Okay, first of all, yeah. uh, let me not respond on the speculation because of one reason. Mm. Here, the situation, we cannot talk about the current reality um, in the occupied Palestinian territory as if it was any state. We are, I'm not as my mandate doesn't cover the situation of the, of the in Israel, for example, or how Palestinians mm -hmm. with Israeli citizenship are treated. It's very relevant, it's very important, but here we are not talking of a state um, and how it treats its own citizens. Here, we are talking of an occupying power who's been there for 55 years, occupying a, really beyond and outside the perimeter of what is permitted by international law and other people. And in fact, I argue that the occupation is engineered to prevent the right of self-determination, so to, for the Palestinian to exist as a people uh, socially, culturally, politically, economically, culturally, as I did, I say culturally. And so um, this is, again, we cannot discuss this as the, the violations that take place as violations that can be addressed uh, um, by, by a state. I mean, we need to address the legality of the occupation. So there are many states doing awful, awful things, having an awful human rights performance uh, in their own in their own borders, within their own borders, and against citizens and non-citizens, and this deserves the same scrutiny. So, all human beings in the world, Ukrainian, Qatari, non-Qatari in Qatar, and and others, are should have the same rights. When it comes to the Palestinians, the Palestinians need to be the Palestinians in the OPT needs to be liberated from an occupation that has no legitimacy. For me, this is very important because I don't want, I don't want to, I mean, because there is this tendency to justify anything Israel does for forgetting and then to an extent condoning the occupation. We need to challenge the occupation. There is no reason for Israel to maintain boots on the ground in the West, in the, yeah, in the West Bank 
and to annex, to treat Jer Jerusalem in its entirety as if it were its own territory. And meanwhile, blockading, keeping under siege two million people in Gaza. This mm. is something that we all need to address. Yes, and not forgetting, of course, the Golan Heights. Um, which, which we've already mentioned, I think. Look, there's a. We're running out of time, sadly. Um, actually, this is a. It would be nice to end on a glimmer of hope. Uh, oddly enough, we have a question from Patrick Legendic. I hope I've got your name right, Patrick, because he asks a question, and I don't know if this refers to Salah and the detainees or the situation more generally. But I'll put it to you both. Patrick asks, "Is there a glimmer of hope?" I come to you first, uh, Francesca. Sorry, I didn't understand the question. Is there a glimmer of hope? Um, I often say that as a human rights defender, before being a human rights special rapporteur, I cannot afford the luxury of losing hope. Who am I to lose hope? I, I do have hope in, um, in humanity. And eventually, and I have um, much hope in international law. So, yes, everything uh, as a lawyer and as a human rights lawyer I will do uh, is to continue to advocate for the full application of international law for the benefits of both the Palestinians and the Israelis. Thank you. And what about you, Leah? I couldn't say it better. <laughs> I just support each and every word she said. I Thank you, Leah. Say. Yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, we end on a slightly positive note, and at least uh, Patrick says I got his name right, so that can't be bad either. But look, unfortunately, <laughs> we've um, we've reached the end of uh, the end of uh, our time with you both, and I'm very grateful. And on behalf of everybody here, at and Palestine, so let's hope, let's finish with optimism. <laughs> hope we will, here. and we'll be very optimistic also to have you back on our show again, Lena, and also to celebrate the release of Salah and other detainees. So thank you. And also oh, both of you for all the fantastic and vitally important work you do. Um, thank you very respect much. You and from all of our viewers. And to thank you both and to thank everybody at Palestine Peace Live. And see you next time. Hopefully. Thank you, Mark. And it's it's been an honor and a pleasure to be with you and Leah. Goodbye. It was nice. Goodbye. Nice meeting you.